Booked, where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week is another installment in our interlude series. What does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. We didn't read a book this week, at least not one we're going to talk about, um, due in some part to Rob being out of town. Uh, Rob, the world traveler, was on vacation in Washington, D.C. again this uh, past weekend. How was, how was Washington, D.C., Rob? It's great. Actually, I haven't told anybody this yet, but while I was hanging out at a friend's house, the, um, the three helicopters went over. Um, and Marine One was one of them. You know, like when the president flies in the helicopter, there's two other ones that go with him. Yeah, so that flew right over me on Labor Day. I have no idea what that actually means. but okay. the, the president helicoptered over me, I guess, is the short way of saying it. Oh, okay. All right. All right, so that was one reason. Um, the <laughs> other reason was <laughs> I had some, some non-booked um, material that I wanted to read this week. And, um, hey, we gave you a Max Berry interview, so I think we kind of fulfilled our... Uh, our duties as podcasters this week. So kick it off a little bit. Um, I don't know if you guys have listened to the Max Berry interview yet, but that guy was just fantastic. It's a pleasure yeah. to talk to that guy. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I, 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 I've said this to several people individually, so I'm just going to get it out of the way here. So I don't have to say it again. Um, you know, the, the interview ended up being about 40 minutes or so. I feel like we easily could have done two hours. And I mean, I could have asked him what he thought about, you know, college rule paper versus wide rule paper, and he would have made it the most fascinating topic. I agree wholeheartedly. So I look forward to uh, next time we can have him on, next book. I'm already looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, so we have some, uh, we have a few topics, uh, book-related stuff we wanted to talk about on this interlude episode, and we have a whole big chunk dedicated to Amazon.com um, that we're going to start it off with. So, uh, Rob, you want to kick off the first uh, the first topic there? Yeah, Amazon seems to be going through a big push of, of introducing new features on their website and stuff that interacts with the Kindle. One of the ones is called Amazon Amazon at author. And essentially, so that I don't butcher it too much, I'm going to kind of read to you from the website what it's all about. The basic idea is uh, there's certain authors right now that are participating in this. It's in, a, it's in beta, so that there's not... A lot of authors participating. There's like 16, I think, on the list so far. And you have the opportunity to, while you're reading a book on your Kindle, uh, highlight a section and send from your Kindle, directly from your Kindle, a question to the author, which the author will then um, have a chance to you know, reply to you uh, on the website. And it looks pretty interesting because it adds a level of interaction between you and the author where you don't have to put your Kindle down and go to the website. You can do it directly in the middle of reading, which I think sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, the other thing, and I haven't had a chance to try this yet because it is limited to, um, as uh, Rob said, 16 authors. And it's multiple books from them. And quite honestly, I'm not really familiar with, with a lot of the names on this list, at least from having read their stuff. So I don't know if it's their entire catalog. I'm going to guess not because I do see a couple authors on here that I'm pretty sure have more than uh, one or two books out. But it also just kind of creates a community question, is my understanding, that you could then go and uh, and you know talk to other people who are reading the book, which is something that... Um, we thought it was pretty cool uh, as a possibility for ebooks, and it looks like Amazon has figured out a way to do that. Apparently, I just post right to a, a section in the author's um, author page on Amazon. Yeah, it's kind of what you and I do, where we're in the middle of reading the same book, and we just talk about a certain scene. Or there's definitely been books where 
I've been a little bit ahead of you and we're talking about something like you'll, you'll say something and I'll say, Oh yeah, just wait till you get to this, this point. You'll see what I'm talking about and that kind of stuff. So it's nice that they're kind of moving that in the direction of you can do it. You don't have to have a specific person, you know, you can just talk to someone who has a mutual interest in a book uh, just that's out there reading it at the same time. So some of the bigger authors that are on here, um, uh, Timothy Ferris, who wrote The 4-Hour Workweek and The 4-Hour Body, um, probably, at least to me, the best-known author on there. Um, he's been doing this on his own website for years. I mean, The 4-Hour Body was pretty much, uh, you know, most of that book appeared on his website before it was in book form. He had crowdsourced opinions and that type of thing. And uh, Ted Decker, another another big name in fiction, um, also appearing on the at author beta, as uh, well as Brad Meltzer and uh, John Locke, who is a character from the TV show Lost. So I'm not really sure how that uh, how that works <laughs> out for him, but uh, that's uh, just a few of the 16 people, and uh, you can get more information on that at Amazon's uh, at author page. I, I I'm interested to see uh, if this takes off and uh, and how it grows because. It's it's nice to as a reader have that access to the author, but hopefully it doesn't get too big because then we'll be out of a job, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's some authors have been doing this, and you know, through Twitter, it's a lot harder, I guess, to have a community type conversation about a part in a book just because of Twitter's general structure. But um, I'm sure on Facebook fan pages there have been you know conversations about a particular line or a scene in there, and the author could or could choose not to pop in. Um, you know, the thing that makes me think of that most is um, Kevin Smith, who is not an author, I don't think. Did he write a book? Maybe he wrote a book. At any rate, I mean, years ago, on his View Askew forum, you know, you can go on there and ask him, you know, what his favorite, you know, type of lunch meat was, and the guy would get back to you. So, I mean, it's been going on for a while. It's just that Amazon has figured out a way to use this as a tool to draw more people into the Kindle, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, something that occurred to me, too, is that even if you pick up the book, year after it comes out or something you can then go to that author's page and see what other people were talking about and even if you weren't a part of the conversation what was going on still have access to it and to see what the author said in interactions with the readers you know at the time it's funny you mentioned that when i was clicking around um when i first heard about this a week ago two weeks ago whenever it was one of the bloggers that was uh, talking about it said that's exactly what an author needs is a another way to to have to interact with people as if they don't have enough ways to have to do that now through social media but to be asked a question about a particular line they wrote in a book you know five or six years ago and you know it's not even that you're buying the book then the four-hour body has uh, i know for a fact has been out probably three or four years if not longer you know, some of these other books on this list, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I know has been uh, around for a long time too. And is one of those, uh, you know, one of those books that you can still find just about anywhere. I mean, you can walk into Walmart and pick that up. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, they're already going to have conversations built around books that are years old, not just that it'll be years before somebody asks a question about it. No. Yeah. We'll see what comes of it. It's a, it's at least an interesting concept and it's at the very, very worst, a good first effort into making the Kindle more interactive with the authors that you're reading. Very cool. Moving uh, along a little bit on the Amazon front, Amazon Singles is something that uh, I know started a couple months ago. It didn't really grab my attention until uh, until earlier this week, and I had uh, someone on that's kind of a backwards way to, to get to this, but uh, someone on Twitter had mentioned um, not to, to spend the, the $2 on, uh, on the new Jack Reacher single from Lee Child, um, but to read his book instead. And I was like, hey, Jack Reacher's doing something on, uh, on the Amazon singles. I should go check this out. And if you've listened to previous episodes, 
I'd read the first, I don't know, five books in the Jack Reacher series. And to me, they got to be a little bit of the same thing, kind of rehashed over and over. So I gave up on it, but the name still kind of catches my attention. So for those of you who don't know, Amazon Singles is a way to promote your, um, your novella, basically. Um, you know, shorter stories that aren't novel length that'll be sold at, a, you know, hopefully a reduced price. And it seems to be a pretty big success for them right now. Here's my thing about it. And this is just me not knowing what qualifies to become a Kindle single. Does it have to be certain authors? Like, do you have to have a certain level of notoriety in order to be on their Kindle singles list or not? I, honestly, I don't know. In looking at the top-selling authors, um, of course, much like anything else, there's a bunch of very, very recognizable names on there. But I'm thinking that you can just submit it instead of in the Amazon Books section. There's a subcategory called Singles, and I think that's where you can just promote your uh, your novella. And it's an easy way. I mean, one of my one of my complaints about Amazon. Um, in ebooks was, you know, I go in and look at an ebook and it tells me how many kilobytes it is, which is great. I mean, I have whatever four gig on my Kindle and I'm nowhere near filling it up, but I'd like to know how much time I'm going to spend reading that book. So at this point, um, at least up until recently, what I had to do is go back and, and, you know, go to the paper book site and try to figure out, you know, do I want to read a 700 page book, you know, because in kilobytes, it means absolutely nothing to me. So I think it's just a way for them to let customers know, Hey, you know, yeah, you're only paying a dollar 99. Um, but you're not getting a feature-length book, because I guess that could work the other way, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting, well, not interestingly. I guess some of this is interesting. Not surprisingly, um, Stephen King has Mile 81, which is uh, the number one selling Kindle single. Um, right now, Second Son by Lee Child, which is a Jack Reacher story, is at number two. You scroll down the list a little bit. David Baldacci's got some stuff in there. So like I said, I mean, the top 10 at least is populated with, uh, with authors that you're very familiar with already. The thing that's interesting, though, is, and forgive me for a minute while I flip over and flip pages, so King's single is number one in the Kindle singles. Um, it's number two in Kindle ebooks fiction uh, or contemporary fiction, and it's the number five bestseller in literature and fiction um, for total books. Yeah. Well, I mean, at $3, I can't imagine that people, anybody who's a King fan is like, yeah, this is a no brainer because it's so cheap. Um, yeah. His is two ninety nine, So, I mean, the prices do range from 99 cents to two ninety nine. but it's, um, it's kind of interesting to see that he's generating. And you look at it this way, Stephen King puts anything out and it's a huge, huge hit, but what he's got here is, you know, quite possibly a, you know, 70, 80 page, novella that's generating as much money as somebody's, you know, as a well-known author's full-out novel, at least at the time that we're doing this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how long, you know, it's been up there for or whatever, but if it's in, if it's that high of a seller, then you're really looking at, at 80 pages. Oh, hey, by the way, that's what I noticed. I was going to touch on that earlier. Um, they do have the print length now listed under the Kindle edition, at least for these. So maybe that's something that uh, they've gotten wise to and switched over. So yeah, 213 kilobytes, 80 pages, but you got to figure he's making as much money off this digitally as another, you know, popular author is making off a full novel, whoever is number seven on that list right below him. Yeah. And here's, here's my concern. First of all, Kindle singles more or less is opening up a new market that hasn't really been that profitable or attractive before, which is to put out a non-novel length story for people to buy at a cheaper price. And now I, the first thing I think is that anybody who's a published author and publishers, publishers themselves are going to think, well, you know, it takes you know much less time to have one of our people write 
you know, a novella or a short story that we can sell as a Kindle single and still make a killing off of it. Let's get them to keep, you know, let's get our well-known authors to start making these shorter stories. And then, you know, suddenly the Kindle singles area is just going to be dominated by these really well-known authors and other authors who maybe specialize in writing those size stories might get buried under these, you know, kind of just pushed out mass market stuff. You know, that's true, but you have to look at it, or at least I think you have to look at it a different way too. Back when, let's say I would have stayed on board and been a Reacher fan all along, you know, at a dollar ninety nine, I would have loved to have read another, you know, 70 page or whatever story from the Reacher catalog, not necessarily an independent length book, but where would you have gotten that I mean, with the advent of the internet, sure, you know, the authors could distribute it on their website or, you know, you could download a PDF or, or you know, but you had to buy like uh, a compilation of books, which still could have set you back 10 or 12 bucks. And there are many anthologies I bought because there were two stories from authors I liked. This could allow you to be a lot more selective and buy what you want to read, which would have pretty much, I'm thinking, been impossible um, to, to market and sell at a profitable way for a bookstore, for a publisher at a 70-page you know, novella and paper, you know, and try to get whatever, you know, five bucks for it or whatever they needed to get for everybody to make their money. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I just think that it's going to be something that opportunist publishers are going to flood the market with stuff just to make money off of it, as opposed to it opening up a new venue for people to have a, a farther reach for their, their stories. No, I, and and I think you're right. I mean, I think it works both ways. We'll we'll see what uh, what shakes out of this. Okay, um, the next thing that we're going to talk about about Amazon actually uh, it plays into the conversation that Livius and I have been having about popular authors, you know, legitimately releasing stuff as singles versus indie authors who are trying to come up in the world and 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 get more attention on Amazon. Amazon recently launched something called Kindle Indie Books uh, from Kindle Direct Publishing, and essentially. It provides readers a convenient way to explore and browse some of the indie selections available on Kindle from Kindle Direct Publishing authors and publishers. So essentially, any author who has something that they want to directly publish through the Amazon store without a third-party publisher kind of situation uh, falls into this Kindle Direct Publishers category and could be featured in this Kindle indie store page. Now, I saw this, and I was interested in it because it seems like, at face value, that it's just giving uh, authors who aren't signed to a big publisher another way to get their name out there and be more recognized by having this kind of special corner of Amazon. And so I posted up on Facebook. I just said, hey, anybody else get this email about the indie bookstore and what are your thoughts on it? Axel Tyree, who we've we talked about his novella, A Light to Starve By, uh, which is up on Amazon, and he had this to say about it. Much like the Kindle Singles program, it does nothing to promote underrated and undiscovered authors. Kindle Singles was limited to authors with a publishing house backing them up or some serious cred in the journalism literary tech fields. A shame. (laughs) So actually, I guess that answers my question earlier about whether you had to have a publishing house behind you. It looks like you do have to have some serious traction in order to have a single. Axel also says the indie book section is mostly auto-generated based on ratings and sales. Since sales bring a huge number of ratings and reviews, you need to sell quite a few copies first before you can even be included in the bookstore. 
It keeps the top seller selling, really, which is all good for Amazon. A first-time indie writer will get no exposure from this, and there's no way to add your book to the bookstore. There's no way to add your book to the bookstore yourself. See what a little bit of research could have done for us. Apparently, you cannot submit your own um, your own to uh, to either of those. Apparently, yeah, and, and I guess what that shakes out to is that it makes it a big popularity contest, um, and it's kind of the problem with that is. You know, it's that you got to have money to make money thing. Like, you can't break in unless you're popular. And how do you get popular if you can't break in? So, yeah, something interesting while we were talking about this, I was uh, looking at the at the indie books page, and CJ Lyons um, is the number one and the number four bestseller. Um, granted, they're ninety nine cent books, but yeah, she's she's up twice in the top four, and uh, she's also one of the at authors um, that we were just talking about on that page as well. So she's definitely out there trying to get her stuff out there. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if it turns into anything for Amazon. Um, just because they launch it doesn't mean anybody is going to fall in love with it. Um, when I clicked on CJ Lyons on one of her books to see who it was, it said, "Be the first to ask them a question." Now, at author came out. Um, I don't know. It's been a week or so, two weeks maybe, and apparently mm-hmm. no one has asked a question about the number one or number four best-selling book in the indie books, at least. Well, at author, I didn't hear about it all. I heard through other people. Actually, the indie, the indie label thing. I got an email announcing it, so that's why I knew about it. But this at author thing, I think I heard through you know friends or through social media, some one way or another. It's interesting. I wonder how they choose who to email to because I certainly did not get an email from uh, from Amazon on the on the indie books. Hmm. So. so I guess the indie label and the Kindle singles. My impression <laughs> after Livius and I got into a big fight about it right here <laughs> is that it's it's a problem where until they find a way to to, to build some equity between new authors who have no representation um, and are doing everything by themselves. And established authors like, you know, monsters like Stephen King, who, you know, you just have to put your, their name on something. I mean, he could put his name on someone's, like, eighth grade book report, and it would, <laughs> it would sell better than, you know, the best authors I've ever read. Um, until there's some sort of equity, equity between the two, I mean, they can build all these initiatives they want. And I personally feel that they're not going to be useful to the average consumer. Yeah, I, you know, in... in Here's what it is. Amazon's a business, and they're going to do what's profitable for them. I like what they do. I mean, they, they obviously bring more books to more people than, you know, at any point in history, probably cumulatively in history. But, yeah, I mean, they're a business, and they're going to do what's best for them. And if it's pushing the same books down your throat or not, that's where they're going to make their money from. That's fair. That's a good point. Um, and so we spent a lot of time on Amazon, obviously, in research for uh, for this episode, if you haven't figured that part out. And uh, I looked through the bestsellers in the Kindle store, not something I do very often. And uh, I, I noticed something that was kind of interesting, um, a couple of things. But the first thing I was looking at, um, The Help is uh, by Catherine Stockett, is uh, the number one bestselling book in the Kindle store. That's 646 days in the top 100. So basically from the time it was released um, up until now, even after a movie release, this book is, uh, well, and I'm sure due in part to the movie release, it's number one on the uh, on the Kindle store list, which is kind of interesting. Um, the other thing that made that more interesting is as I scroll down the list, um, the Hunger Games trilogy by Suzanne Collins, um, three, well, all three of the books, I should say, are in the top 13 Kindle bestsellers. 
So apparently getting a movie um, made about your books makes your books far more successful, at least in the Kindle. I don't know how well they're selling in stores. I see them places, but I don't know how well they're selling. Yeah. Just for the record, number 12 on the top 100 paid list for Kindle is a game. It's Scrabble. So uh, I think that if I were... <laughs> I'd be pretty pissed if I were... Um, like, uh, let's see, number, number 15. Number 13. Yeah. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Michael Michael Steiner uh, at, with End Malaria is one, one spot below Scrabble on the Amazon Top 100 list. I'd be pretty... Pretty fucking pissed off. <laughs> okay, 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 so, so what is me. that? Is that can you buy, just buy Scrabble for your Kindle? I don't even know what that. I saw that too, and I kind of glazed right over it because I was like, "That's not a book." But yeah. it didn't occur to me. Is that what it is? You can buy that for your Kindle? Yeah, they have games, and and that's the thing where. So obviously, the the top one hundred list is just anything that you can possibly buy for Kindle. Top one hundred paid. Yeah, because they have games, and if you look at, I think the nineteenth one is Yahtzee. So. Again, number 20 is going to be really pissed off because fucking Yahtzee is beating them <laughs> the top 100 list. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, it, it works both ways. Yahtzee is also looking at Michael Connolly and going, we, we can catch you, you know, <laughs> in, in just a couple of days, Michael Connolly. So. We're gunning for you, Nami Wolf. That's right. So <laughs> then I just wanted to throw in one more thing about Amazon, and this kind of came along in a weird way. It was... We were looking at the um, Amazon Indie page, and at the bottom it's got recommendations based on things you viewed. And, you know, so Rob and I have very similar um, what we viewed on here, apparently, because for both of us, some of the same titles came up. But I went ahead and clicked on the ebook edition of Kiss Me Judas by uh, Will Christopher Bear that we've mentioned ad nauseum at this point on the show. But what I happen to notice is that it actually has two one-star reviews, which then led me to have to click, uh, to postpone recording the show so I could click <laughs> on them and read these one-star reviews. So I'm going to go ahead and read them here since we've waxed eloquent about uh, Will Christopher Bayer's fantastic writing. I'm going to give you the other end of it, and then we'll probably make fun of these people. Um, Jellicate on August 18th, um, wrote, After the first chapter, I was disgusted, almost angered by how awful this book is. Cliché? Yep. Predictable lazy writing? You betcha. I typically don't write book reviews on Amazon, but I had to go out of my way to inform my fellow readers out there how awful this book was. Avoid. Wow, dude. Hey, just showing the other side of the coin, man. So... Um, I did just go ahead and click that that review was not helpful to me, by the way, as right after I was done reading it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the other one, too, just uh, so you can hear what Arturo had to say, um, although his was, uh, his was back in July of 2006. Um, it's not so much that this novel is both immoral and grotesque, which it is, in parentheses, but that the love is supposed to be... De- I can't even read this crap. <laughs> but, that's, but that the love that is supposed to bind it together is so preposterous as to make the novel unreadable. I found myself giving up around page 100, frustrated by the all-too-precious prose and the absurd idea of a man who's had his kidney removed by a woman only to fall in love with her. I don't know about you, but there's only so far I can stretch a metaphor. Take away my kidney, and that's where I draw the line. Arturo, thanks for your review. I'm going to go ahead and click that as unhelpful as well. Oh, the title. Okay, I, I got I to gotta throw in on this oh. one. Uh, the title of this review was Ponderous, Pedantic, and Pretentious. Um, and here's the thing about here's the thing about a review like this: the fact that the first line says that the book is immoral and grotesque. That's not that's not a judgment based on quality. That's not a judgment based on value. That's a judgment based on opinion. So there's no 
reason to leave a review like that. It's not going to help anybody by saying, I think there's a morality in here that thinks grotesque. That's not something that, that someone can draw any value from. It's, it's a pointless review and it's just, it shouldn't even exist. I'm going to give you credit because you do a very good job of, of um, in our review for The Devil All the Time, you, uh, you did a very good job of saying, hey, you know, here's some reasons why I didn't like it. But you know what? Other people, you know, you usually said it was a, it was a higher rating for, for probably for other people than it was for you. I'm usually not as kind. If I think it's garbage, I just kind of call it garbage and don't say who, you know, <laughs> that there's anybody that should read it. So I'll give you credit for that. But no, you're absolutely right. You know, this, especially the second one from, from Arturo, uh, he apparently didn't read the um, description or the dust jacket or anything that's pretty clear about what the, you know, what, what the story's about. And if you, when I first, I reluctantly picked up Kiss Me Judas um, on some internet recommendations and I thought, oh God, this sounds like that, uh, that urban legend type story. And I'm not really sure, but everyone speaks so highly about it. I tried it and yeah, it was very urban legendy and very, very, very good. So you know, I had my misgivings before I picked it up. I was obviously very, very wrong. But if he's upset about the, you know, someone stealing a kidney and then, uh, you know, Phineas falling in love with her, then, man, that was right there to be had on, you know, on the back cover. Yeah, this is a guy who's just looking to bring someone down. He's not trying to help anybody else who's thinking about reading this book. And that bothers me. That bothers me. I'm offended as a reader, but I'm also offended as what... uh <laughs> I, I would say a, a pretty serious book reviewer. That's just it's garbage. That guy, and this is this is an opinion. That guy's review is garbage. There you go. Write a review on his review. Fuck Arturo. <laughs> That's right. All right. Let's talk about a little bit about what exciting stuff we've got coming up here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I can't get over Arturo. <laughs> All right. Um, we got a pretty exciting. Road trip coming up tomorrow. Yeah, booked road trip. Um, Corydon, Indiana, here we come. Um, we're going to be heading down there for the Frank Bill book release party for Crimes in Southern Indiana. I am very excited and very embarrassingly going to say this. This is my first book reading I'm going to. You know what? Me too. This is, yeah, it, it, it took way too long for us to get to an actual author event like this. Well, not just us collectively, just as human beings, we probably should have been to one before. So it took me a long, long time to get around to one. So I'm really, really excited. Yeah. Um, my impression of, of the way it's going to go is that we're going to head down there and there's going to be, it's, it's, it's a party for the release of Crimes in Southern Indiana, right? But in, in addition to that, there's going to be a bunch of people reading, including uh, Frank Bill and Donald Ray Pollock and okay, I, I know Kyle Miner is going to be there. He was one of the people that was in Warmed and Bound, and I think I'm not sure exactly who's reading, but it's going to be a big, big collection of, of people that book has had on, booked has had on or talked about it, talked to in the past, including David James Keaton. Yeah, David James Keaton is gonna is gonna meet us there. I think this is gonna be a very very good time. And uh, as we mentioned in the previous episode, our thanks again to Richard Thomas and Chris Deal for inviting us to uh, to to hoof it down there with them. I think it's gonna be a great weekend. Yeah, and I think we're gonna booked is secretly gonna have the uh, the <laughs> some sort of voice recorder going on the drive down there, so we can get some candid stuff from uh, from Thomas and Deal as we're we're driving for hundreds and hundreds of miles together. Yeah, for the ex, for the big booked expose um, episode that every author is terrified of. 
Well, no, we're, we're, we're compiling what we're doing right now and what we've been doing since we started interviewing authors is we're compiling a very serious database of blackmail material that we can use later on when these authors, you know, are at the peak of their careers and are, are making are, are making Patterson money. <laughs> right. And we can blackmail them into guest hosting our little <laughs> podcast every single week. Or, um, yeah, or, or listing us as a, as the second author on a Patterson book so that we get the million dollar check or whatever it is. Oh, no kidding. Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to talk about it or not? I mean, this is a perfect segue. Yeah. We're going to jump right into this. Um, Hey, <laughs> Before we started recording, I made Livius go to YouTube and, and, and search for James Patterson, Kill Me If You Can. Now, over the last week, I've seen on, on television three or four times the, tra- the, the book trailer for James Patterson's new book, Kill Me If You Can, which essentially is a pretty woman who's just saying, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a gun, I think, and it's all very, it's really ridiculous looking. And uh, this is, I just sit there and I don't think about, hey, I wonder what this book, you know, is going to be like. I just think, how much money did they spend to make this ridiculous trailer that doesn't say anything so that they can show at the end of the end of the trailer a picture of the book cover so that people will know what the book's like, looks like when they go into you know, when they, when they see it in the in the checkout at the goddamn grocery store or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, I saw a commercial for this. This must be good," and then they buy it. It just pisses me off so much. And not just production, though. I mean, I didn't realize this was on television as I watch all my TV recorded, but um, so I don't see a lot of commercials. But yeah, they're paying for airtime, and I'm guessing during you know probably pretty popular shows. So they're they're spending a pretty penny on this and. That kind of brings me back to another point, and I'm very guilty of if I don't buy into something, nobody else possibly can, <laughs> and I'll be the first to admit as Rob giggles because we've had this conversation a million times. I think we had it earlier on this podcast. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, okay, so what kind of reader or fan of an author needs to see a commercial to know their book is out? I mean, that's what God invented the Internet for. <laughs> I, I would argue that the uh, the answer to that question is just in the name of the author you've got patterson he's got that recognized you know he's he's got that recognition he's patterson if you see a patterson books out and you've read one and you didn't you know throw it to the floor and discuss you'll probably read another one so i mean that's really all it takes it's you know the guy's got a book out every month <laughs> you can't miss the fact that he has a new book out that's that's the the horrible part uh, yeah. i see what you're saying like so the commercial is kind of redundant because you pretty much know it's going to be out anyway every month this year yeah, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. As a book trailer, you know, it just, it just, they could have just shown a pile of money instead of, of <laughs> you know, they could have just taken the money that they would have spent on all the production of this video and, and shown James Patterson sitting on a throne made out of that money and then just flash the book cover at the end and it's the same effect because really all they're doing is saying we put a lot of money into this just so that we can flash it and we got it in front of your idiot faces and you can go buy our book it's ridiculous 78 million dollars last year and you know it's a note in the back of my head to, to make a, a note to really look that up but i read somewhere he read he made 78 million dollars last year which was double what the next author made yeah the best part about it if you see the book cover itself on the top, it says James Patterson. Huge, huge words. Kill me. Smaller words underneath it. If you can. 
It's a little picture of, you know, this uh, <laughs> ridiculous guy in a leather jacket with the collar popped, and he's about to kiss this woman. And then underneath, if you can, at the very bottom of the book, uh, in the smallest letters of the entire cover, it says, and Marshall Carp. So congratulations, Marshall Carp. You got on a Patterson book, and you are pretty much an afterthought. Oh, man, it's just terrible. You know, I was thinking about that $78 million quite a bit. I'm guessing that has to be, like, movie royalties and stuff, too, right? They can't just straight up be book sales. Yeah, that's what, that's, that's what I'm thinking is, like, uh, if, they're, if they're just measuring his income for the year, it has to be royalties from previous books, any kind of crossover into a new medium, like if something was made into a movie or, or something like that. It's got to be all of those, uh, that money combined. If if he's just making twelve books and getting seventy eight million dollars a year, someone needs to fucking Tyler Dirt in the entire publishing industry because that's insane. You were on a roll tonight, man. I got to <laughs> Tyler Dirt in the publishing industry. All right, um, here's my uh, my shout out. I found out that I don't do nearly enough shout outs because apparently I don't care enough about what's going on in the world outside of what's in my immediate vicinity at any given time. So um, one of the things I did uh, this week not having to read a book for the podcast was um, I read a book. So <laughs> um, Devil Red by, uh, by Joe Lansdale. It's, uh, I believe it's the eighth installment in the wonderfully fantastic Happen Leonard series. I know I mentioned um, it on a much, much earlier episode. Um, if you haven't read Happen Leonard yet, um, you really need to go back, get the first one. The stories are good stories. The characters are absolutely fantastic. Um, you're not going to find two better suited guys. It, it reminds me a lot of the, uh, here's how I'm going to hook Rob on this, the, the relationship between Alan Shore and Denny Crane in Boston mm-hmm. Legal. That's what I think of when I think of those two guys, just the mm-hmm. absolute witty, witty banter back and forth, the kind of like undying brotherly love for one another. And then, of course, it's all about all the hijinks they, uh, they get involved in. So that was my read. I'll go ahead and unofficially book it at four stars. Um, just great stuff. I could read Happen Leonard all day long. But again, it's one of those things where here's here's the problem, too, because it's part of a series. And Livius and I were talking about this earlier because uh, there's a book coming up in October that I know I'll be reading and I thought would be perfect for us to review. But again, it's a part of a series. And if hopefully not, but if anybody's listened to the first couple <laughs> episodes of Booked, it's weird to go into a series without starting at the beginning. And I think it's kind of a disservice to listeners to just jump into the middle of a series too. So it's, it's weird and we should probably find a a good way to approach addressing a series in general. But uh, yeah, for, for now, those are the types of things that have to be our off, off time reads and stuff like that. So it's even more difficult now for me to get into stuff like that, that we're doing this podcast. I'm going to tack onto that, that it's also a disservice to mention that we had those episodes because someone might go back and listen to them. (laughs) You really just, Oh God, man! If I could get them, if I could talk you into just pulling them down, that would be it. So there'd be that handful of people that downloaded them, and they're sitting on their iPod forever. And one day they'd just be worth a ton of money. They would be like the embarrassing blooper episodes, you know, like when you see on, uh, you know, like one of those things where they show you the big star in their first uh, their first commercial was for like toothpaste and like a mouthful of toothbrush and stuff. That's what those episodes are for us down the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, maybe I should do that as a calculated step in in our our rise to fame is make that very rare so that's something for people to chase after there you go 
Uh, I don't want people to think that Livius is the only person that does recreational reading when we're not doing the podcast. So I did actually read something, and this is kind of a cheat, but a couple weeks back in between books, I read The Griff by Christopher Moore. And it's something that we mentioned once or twice on the podcast before. And it's Christopher Moore's first segue into the graphic novel arena. And he co-wrote it with Ian Corson. Uh, and yeah, I read through it and it was, um, I guess the best way to say this is a very, very big departure from your typical Christopher Moore stuff, but it does have his, um, trademark humor and wit to it. So, um, yeah, check it out. The Griff by Christopher Moore. Well, and then for uh, something that's on my list um, to maybe read this week until we get into our next book, um, Robert McCammon, who, again, I've mentioned numerous times on the show, um, and some of our guests have mentioned him in, uh, for Swan Song, which was just a fantastic novel back in, I believe that was the very late 80s. Um, uh, his newest book, which has been out for a couple months now, The Five, that's uh, high on my reading list. It's sitting on my Kindle waiting for me to crack it open. So it's his first kind of uh, foray back into a thriller I guess, slash horror type novel. So Robert McCammon, we may be uh, talking a little bit about your book here shortly. Before I forget, yet another person has recommended Rob Roberge to us, uh, Sean Ferguson, who we had on the podcast before, and that we're hoping to have as a guest guest host sometime in the future. I was talking to him today on Facebook and he, he said, I know you, you only review stuff that's recent and everything but you have to read this Robert because the stuff he does is is just incredible so uh well, well i don't know what we're going to be able to do with it but um even if we don't review it it's worth checking out because you know Craig Clevenger highly recommends it and we're hearing from you know multiple sources now how good Robert is so uh, maybe someone can review it and tell us about it there you go. If we could just have someone do that every week, this would be <laughs> yeah. so much easier to do. Make our jobs easier. But um, yeah, Robert is, is climbing up the the list of people that I want to keep my eyes on for stuff to, to, to have on the show. Very cool. Uh, another thing that came to our attention recently is there's a new initiative from the team that's behind ChuckPolinick.net. They're they're launching a new thing called Lit Reactor. It's litreactor.com. And essentially what it is is a destination. This is straight from their front page. It says, it's a destination for writers to improve their craft, a haven for readers to geek out about books, and a platform to kickstart your writing goals. So from what I understand, it's essentially taking a lot of the features that you see on the cult, which is chuckpolinick.net, and bringing it over into its own entity uh, where writers can... Uh, talk about their work, probably take some classes, and also just kind of talk about the books they're reading and stuff like that. It launches October 1st, so if you were to go to the website right now, you could basically enter your email address and sign up for a newsletter to get updates on on the the progress of the website, and they send you a what they're called what they call a compendium of top advice from contemporary authors. And it's a it's a PDF. I did sign up. I dropped my email address and I signed up for it. And it's a PDF. What they did basically was they sent uh, a bunch of authors, including people like Brett Easton Ellis and uh, Jack Ketchum, Craig Clevenger, Stephen Graham Jones, Neil Gaiman, Steve Erickson, and a bunch of others. They sent them some questions about um, to get writing advice, essentially, to give to authors. And so when you sign up, they send you over that PDF. It's interesting. I haven't really read it yet, but I just, I glanced over it and it's got a lot of big names on it. So even if, um, you're not 
a writer that's looking to hone their craft, it might be interesting just to check it out and get that PDF and support something that looks like it might be interesting. You know, you were talking about that, and I honestly haven't had a chance to go over and look at Lit Reactor yet, but um, two things came to mind. First of all, um, is Marshall Karp on there um, with, <laughs> with the advice of get your name at the bottom of a Patterson book? <laughs> and, uh, and secondly, that, you know, it's exactly what you said. I, I don't, you know, yeah, I'd like to write sometime, someday, whatever. But, um, yeah, Neil Gaiman and, uh, and Jack Ketchum, both two of two authors who, you know, always perk my interest with what they're writing. So, I mean, you've got some 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 talent there that I don't necessarily don't put in that Polonic category very often. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to see there's some other guys in there. I mean, Gaiman, I don't know much of, you, of his stuff you've read, but I read all of his early stuff, just really, really great stuff there and catch him. And I talk about a guy who, uh, you know, who will cut you open with one of his books. That's, he's something else. So I think I'll be, uh, getting my little newsletter thing just to read those. Uh, can I confess something? Sure. Go ahead. You ready for this? You've never read any Gaiman or catch him. <laughs> Guilty. Yeah, I, I mean, Gaiman writes fantasy stuff, and it's it's um, probably not your speed, um, but really, really great stuff. And Ketchum is, uh, I don't know, man, he's like the like the granddaddy of horror. And I, I think I mentioned, oh, you know what? Um, when did we talk about him? It was our first interlude episode. We talked about, uh, and the name of the book eludes me now, but when we were talking about cannibalisms on our uh, first mm-hmm. our first outing with Malaz, um, <laughs> we uh, I mentioned him. Yeah, he is really something else. I mean, just just gut shot writing. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, I'll probably be reading that little PDF pretty much immediately after we get done recording this. It's piquing my interest, all these big names, what they've got to say about writing. Ketchum is going to say there's never enough blood and you can always eat more people and no pat, no, no Patterson. So, um, we won't figure out his, we won't crack. Oh, Max Berry's on there who we just talked to. Um, but we won't crack the, uh, the Patterson, code quite yet ah there's a book the patterson code there you go it's, it's how to count it's how to count your money more efficiently yeah <laughs> self-help book <laughs> all right so if you haven't yet and we know there's a couple of you that haven't entered just because i can tell booked is doing a huge huge giveaway we're doing uh warmed and bound signed by uh i'm going to go ahead right now and predict by several of the contributors as uh, there's a couple more we're hoping to add very very shortly as well as signed books by richard thomas chris deal caleb ross christopher dwyer i don't know i honestly don't spend a lot of time on goodreads as a matter of fact since we started this podcast i don't think i've updated my goodreads but once or twice so my apologies to any goodreads friends that are gonna get like 100 emails the day i decide to get caught up on it but um, I don't know how many people are giving away multiple signed copies, but there is just some gold to be had there. Yeah, and it's not like we're giving away books that we didn't care for. These are all books that um, you know we've read and we we liked a lot. So um, not only are you getting a, a, a deal of getting signed books, but you're getting signed books that are actually <laughs> good and worth reading. <laughs> Absolutely. Although I got to tell you, I don't think I'd read a signed book. I don't know if that's the right thing to say when we're talking about our, our giveaway, but I think I would actually get a e-copy or another copy to read, and my signed books go into a very special place, and they don't get touched. That's fair. At any rate, a uh, great deal. So go to bookpodcast.com. Right in the front, the first thing that hits right in the face is this widget. All you have to do is click on the, uh, I think it just says something like click here to uh, enter or something like that. Enter to win. <clears throat> okay. It says enter to win. It's that simple. The only way it would be more simple is uh, if you could telepathically ask us to do it on your behalf. 
that's not going to happen. Oh, see, and I was just going to ask Rob if that's something we could do for the show and see if I can get him working on that. No, the answer is no. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for explosions. I want explosions, damn it. Um, all right, so yeah, there's that. There's um, Book's first appearance in e-print. Warmed and bound again, you know, just buy it. It's the book. It's seven ninety five. Uh, probably the best size seven ninety five you'll spend on a book. You'll get to read thirty eight great short stories, and you'll get to hear even more from us. That alone's got to be worth an extra buck or two. Yeah, even if you bought the, and I'm going to start using this term more because Stephen Graham Jones. Again, when we interviewed Stephen Graham Jones, there was just just no end to the incredible things he said. But some of the things he said, just kind of as a throwaway, were the best. Like he said. We're talking about ebooks and stuff, and he said P book for print. So even if you bought the P book of Warned and Bound, the ebook has stuff that's not in the P book, uh, or or even on on websites. So uh, definitely worth worth picking up. Absolutely. So we told you where you can find us on the web. Um, hey, and also check us out on Stitcher. It's so easy when you're driving to work or driving to school or wherever you're going. Pick up your smartphone, go to Stitcher.com, search for Booked Podcast, click the favorite button. And listen away. Again, I say it, and I only say this because I feel like I'm making up for the first few times I mentioned Stitcher, but it's my favorite way to listen to my own podcast. All right, that'll just about wrap up this interlude episode of Booked. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. I can taste you on.